Today is the eighth Sunday after Trinity Sunday, and the gospel reading appointed for this day is from St. Matthew's Gospel, the seventh chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from Jesus Christ, his Son, our Savior. Amen. In the gospel, the Lord declares, you will know them by their fruits. This has been an unchanging reality since the Garden of Eden. Concerning the events of the third day of creation, we read in Genesis, the first chapter, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. From the beginning, with the things of nature, all things bear fruit according to their kind, so that year after year the fruit of the tree, the seed of the herb, bring forth more of the same. According to their type, they bring forth a consistent generation. And that's why this imagery of the fruit and the tree is so readily comprehensible for us. The word of the Lord in the gospel reading directs us to understand that this biological reality, which was established at the creation, grants us insight into the nature of the fruit which men have in their lives and conversation, according to the doctrine that they believe. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. The worst bad fruit is manifest in false prophets. The epistle reading for today from Romans, the eighth chapter, sets forth the fruit which are manifest in those who are truly of the one true apostolic and Catholic faith. Paul declares, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Therefore, the collect for today joins these two readings together. When we pray, grant to us, Lord, we beseech thee, the spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we who cannot do anything that is good without thee may by thee be enabled to live according to thy will. We are thus instructed concerning the good tree and the bad tree. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And the Lord then sets forth the end of the false prophets as they are cast into endless punishment for their rebellion against the Lord. For he declares, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. We should understand then that when the Lord speaks of false prophets, we're not concerned here with the pagans who are justly under condemnation for their idolatry. Jesus declares himself to be the one who declares the just condemnation of the false prophets. For he says, and then I will declare to them. In the judgment, the false prophets are the ones who are calling Jesus Lord, Lord, and speaking of themselves, having prophesied in his name, casting out demons in his name, and doing many wonders in his name. For they call him, rightly, Lord, but they do not believe his word, and they do not proclaim his doctrine. So I believe that we are to understand in these verses that we're not hearing of those who claim no connection to Christianity, but precisely these verses refer to those who are false teachers within visible Christendom. Pagans do not seek to call on Jesus' name as a defense of their idolatry. Mohammedans and Jews do not call on Jesus as the one in whose name they prophesy and do wonders. The ones who are being identified as the false prophets are those who are within the visible church, whose fruit is such that the tree must be cut down and thrown into the fire. Consider again the words of the collect, wherein we pray to the Lord, Grant to us, Lord, we beseech thee, the Spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we who cannot do anything that is good without thee may by thee be enabled to live according to thy will. The false prophets have given a mighty appearance of virtue, for they prophesy, cast out demons, and do many wonders in the name of the Lord. But the collect teaches us that they do not have the Holy Spirit. They do not have faith. It is thus that the false prophets are living according to the flesh. As St. Paul wrote to the Romans, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. The bad fruit of the false prophets is deceptive. It beguiles because the fallen nature believes it to be good. Eve was deceived when she set aside the word of the Lord and sought to judge the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil according to her own judgment. As we read in Genesis 3, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Now, this tree and its fruit were created by God. It was a matter that the Lord had commanded in Genesis 2, of every tree of the garden you shall you, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The fruit was not bad. The eating of it was sinful. The fruit of the false prophets is of an entirely different category in that their fruit is bad, for it comes from a bad tree. Eating the forbidden fruit condemned our race because it was not given to men to eat. The fruit of the false prophets tells us that they are false prophets. They exist because of the fall into sin. In the midst of everything that people fear, false prophets are not near the top of the list in our generation. The false prophets produce lying wonders which deceive many. 
Thus, St. Paul describes the lawless one, the Antichrist, in 2 Thessalonians 2, as follows. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That which the false prophets do, that is, prophesying in the name of the Lord, casting out demons in the name of the Lord, and doing many wonders in the name of the Lord, are associated with the strong delusion which causes men to accept the false prophets. The fruit of the false prophets is found in their false doctrine. Sinful men are deceived by the outward appearance of sanctity, when they should be looking at the fact that what the false prophets proclaim is at variance from the word of God. The appointed collect acknowledges that it is only by the working of the Holy Spirit that we are able to think and do such things as are right. This speaks to the matter of doctrine. People can be guided in their conscience to avoid immorality. The entirety of the second table of the law is that which the conscience should know to avoid in thought, word, and deed. Men do not need to be Christians to know that murder, theft, and adultery are wrong. That doesn't mean that they do the right thing, only that they know, at least generally, what is right and what is wrong. It is thus that St. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2, For when Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the, the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. The danger of the false prophets is their false doctrine. The signs and wonders are part of the deception to cover their words. They are part of trying to make their words look and sound faithful, when in point of fact they are not. Considered in the light of Romans 8, the false teachers teach a doctrine of the flesh and its deeds. The corruption of doctrine is such that it teaches a doctrine of works that appeals to the flesh. Works righteousness appeals to the flesh because it tries to minimize the understanding of our corruption, and thus minimizes the work of the Savior. It maximizes the purported virtues of men, and so elevates the cult of the saints and sets them forth as advocates and intercessors. It presents worship as something which man does to merit favor with God, rather than the divine service in which the Lord comes to men to give us life and salvation. In a sense, the Roman notion of the bloodless re-sacrifice of the Mass is not that far removed from the Protestant notion of making ourselves somehow worthy for God. The false prophets sound holy because they call for commitment and self-sacrifice, something which is certainly required of Christians. But they call upon such things toward the wrong end, presenting them as what we are to do to prepare ourselves for grace or to merit something from God, rather than presenting the good works of the Christian as the faithful response to that which has already been received. The Christian knows that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, 
and of children, then heirs of then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. The suffering comes because we are already heirs, through baptism and faith. It is thus that we in faith pray, grant to us, Lord, we beseech thee, the spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we who cannot do anything that is good without thee may by thee be enabled to live according to thy will. The Christian faith is predicated on the life, suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. He has accomplished all that is necessary for our life and salvation. It is he who has atoned for all sin. It is he who is victorious over the devil. It is he who has risen from the dead. It is he who sends forth his servants of the word to proclaim the word of God and to administer the means of grace, so that we would hear and believe and be saved. That faith is by the working of the Holy Spirit, so that all that we have in Christ Jesus is by the grace of God. Our faltering steps are the fruit of that which the Lord has accomplished when we are in the faith. We do not go forth with the hubris of the false prophets, but with the trembling steps of those who know that that which is in us by nature is sinful and unclean, and the good that is worked in us is established and sustained by the Holy Spirit through the Word and Sacraments. Our life is in the church, where the Lord dwells and distributes his gifts. What is the will of our Father in heaven? Jesus tells us in John 6, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Thus we believe in, trust in, the Christ, who will come again in glory at the end of the age. Amen. Let us pray. Grant to us, Lord, we beseech thee, the spirit to think and do always such things as are right, that we who cannot do anything that is good without thee may by thee be enabled to live according to thy will. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. The people of Salem Lutheran Church of Malone invite you to visit them today for the 10.30 a.m. worship service. Sunday school is available for all ages at 9.30 a.m. At this time, our Bible class is in the midst of a study of 1 Timothy, and we invite you to join us for that study. Salem was located approximately two miles north of Malone off of FM 308. These broadcasts are provided through the support of the members of Salem Lutheran Church of Malone.